the senior games, which I'm going to participate in in Albuquerque in June. Um, yeah, there, there's something like 12,000 people over, you know, over age 60 or whatever competing. And they're the pioneers. You guys are going to be the precursors. Maybe the senior games eventually are going to be as popular as the Olympic Games. Who knows? You know, your generation is going to be making the rules, creating new sports, creating new attitudes. It's all going to be changing. It's, it's a great time. It's a great time for um, a discussion of aging and physicality. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek. I am a movement and mindset strategist with a passion for running, triathlon, and all things fitness. This weekend marks the beginning of the Senior Games, the National Senior Games. They take place down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the whole purpose of the games is to motivate active adults to lead a healthy lifestyle through the creation of the Senior Games movement. And there are 20 sports that people can participate in the National Games, and you have to be 50 or older to participate. And it's the largest multi-sport event in the world for seniors. So in light of the start of that, I wanted to pull some clips from some of my favorite interviews that talk about active aging. And I think that this is a really cool topic also because I keep running into people who are in their mid to late 40s and above who I run across them as I'm walking or out and about and they ask me, hey, what do I have to do to start a walking program? What do I have to do to start a running program? Does it hurt you when, do your feet hurt? Do your knees hurt when you run? And they'll start asking me questions about just how to become more active. So I wanted to, since this is going on this weekend, pull up some of those clips and just kind of go back to some of these really great experts that I've had on the show that can tell you how to begin a healthy lifestyle, no matter what your age. To kick things off, I am going to take it way back to last summer in my interview with Bonnie Parrish Kell. She is the chief diva at Slowpoke Divas, and she will be out in Albuquerque participating in the senior games. Bonnie began her athletic journey at the age of 50, and she leads a life that shows us all that we are never too old or too out of shape to lead an active lifestyle. Well, I feel that anybody, um, any woman of any age can be a, quote, slowpoke diva. And primarily it's a case where we want to get out, be fit, whether we want to play basketball, be a gym rat, and basically enjoy that activity. We don't have to be first in our age group. We don't have to win the marathons. We don't even have to do a marathon. It's just a case of getting out there and doing a sport or activity that, that we enjoy doing. That way we can improve our fitness. So that's what Slowpoke Divas is all about. And one of the things I focus on a lot, of course, is like running, triathlon, cycling, that sort of thing. But really, if a woman is into dance, go for it. Because we know how much um, coordination and stamina and flexibility goes into dance. So it's really about just getting out there and enjoying it. 
I love how Bonnie's focus is on getting out there, having fun, and trying to do things with a group of people who will encourage you. So that led to this little side conversation in our interview. I love that. I had a, it seems like I keep talking about these pictures that show up in my Facebook memories over the last Uh couple of days, but I had a picture the other day pop up that was at the lake with one of my training partners. And it was this big first exciting day, our very first open water swim. And I mean, we are, we are so cute because we have our little swim caps there. We're standing on the edge of the lake, taking our selfie together, Mm -hmm. all excited, trying to commemorate this, what felt like this huge, huge milestone because we were all new to triathlon that summer and all kind of jumped in it to, into it together. Mm -hmm. It's so important to have that group of women or group of people that will support you in those activities that you can all hey, let's all go try this together. Let's all explore something new together. That's right. It takes, it takes a lot of that fear and self-doubt away. It's if, you know, if Sally can do it, well, maybe I can too. And one of the things I found, and it's what prompted me to start Slowpoke Divas, was that unintentionally I was inspiring other women to do what I was doing because they were saying, wow, you're, you're amazing. You're doing this, that, and the other thing. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, I'm not even a runner yet. I walk my triathlons, but the mere fact that I was doing a triathlon was inspiring them to try something new themselves. And I thought that, you know, that's exactly what we need more of. We need more support and we need more encouragement to get out there and, and either follow a dream or at least improve our fitness, improve, improve our health. This is something that I would love to see a whole lot more of in the coming years is people just getting out there and trying new things, not worrying about time. I was talking to some friends last weekend about, hey guys, let's, you know, we really should all do another triathlon together. Wasn't that great when we all did it? Not just one or two of us that people go out and support, but if everybody did it again and one of them said, oh, I don't know, I'd love to be able to do it, but I would have to walk the run. And I said, who cares? Let's do it. What is wrong with walking on the run portion of a triathlon or walking during a marathon or a half marathon? The point is you're getting out there and doing it. And so I love what Bonnie does to encourage people to just get out and move and do what your body will allow you to do. So I'm a running and triathlon coach, and I know that you are big into the race walking and you triathlon and cycling. I have lots of people tell me that they think that they are too old to start something like this. And you are evidence that it is never too late to start. But what do you say to people who think that they're too old or too out of shape to even get started with these activities? Well, first off, I feel that no matter what age we are, we should be able to go out and play. And that play can be whatever we want to do. One of the things we have to remember, too, is that if we have a 40-year-old body or a 60-year-old body, we're no longer the 20-year-old that we, that mentally we may think we, we still are. But studies have shown over the last 20 years that fitness, exercise, strength training, anaerobic training actually improves and strengthens an elderly person's body. They'll get some of their muscle mass back. 
the, it will improve bone density, it will improve balance, cognitive function. And believe me, I'm at the, <laughs> I feel like I need as much cognitive improvement as possible these days. So to me, there's no reason why you cannot go out and start something. I think it's a case of managing expectations. That was the biggest thing that I had when I had turned 50 and I had that uh, beginner triathlon experience was that I realized this was going to be a journey and it was really going to be a challenge because I like probably 98% of other Americans, when we want something, we want it now. It's that whole instant gratification mm -hmm. thing. So if I can get you know, upset, if I have to wait too long at a Starbucks drive through how am I going to feel if I want to actually do a marathon? It's going to take me a long time to get in the physical shape ready for a marathon. Um, the other thing I also recommend is that we do not compare ourselves to somebody else. If it takes me 12 months to do something, that's my journey. If it took you three months to do something, I'm going to celebrate that. But mm -hmm. you know, somebody else might need two years because all bodies are different. And so I think we need just to embrace that journey and enjoy every step of the way and not push it too much where we either get, get sick or get hurt because then that takes all the fun out of, you know, the sport. So no matter what the age, go for it. This interview was a year ago, but I did at that time have Bonnie tell us a little bit about what is involved with the senior games. Well, the, the fun thing about what's called senior games or senior Olympics is that they are designed specifically for people over the age of 50. And it is to encourage the maturing population to get active again, to embrace a healthy lifestyle, to get out there and, and walk or play basketball or shoot the hoops or, um, you know, do, doing some sort of sport. Mm -hmm. And so I found the uh, senior games um, here in Nevada and also in Utah, which then led me to a national organization called the National uh, Senior Games Association. And they put on a huge multi-sport event every two years for seniors. And next year's is the championship, which will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And if you participate in a sport, I'm going to say race walking for me, at, say, the Nevada Senior Games, and if I place in the top four, I will qualify to go to nationals. And I would love to be able to do that. And I don't expect to ever win a race walking event. I don't expect to ever win a cycling event or a triathlon event because I'm slow. I am the epitome of slow poke divas. But it's the whole point of having a goal and doing the best that I can. And also I've made some really, really great friends through this whole senior games um, environment because we're all supporting each other, whether it's race walking, cycling. I've even seen softball teams during that game. They're really competitive, but afterwards they're all hugging each other and they're congratulating each other and they're, you know, things like that. So it's a wonderful, wonderful um, environment. Next, I want to jump to a clip from iconic athlete, author, Emmy Award winning broadcaster, and advocate for sports and social causes, Katherine Switzer. Catherine was the first woman to officially register for and run the Boston Marathon in 1967. People talk about older people now. 
the way they talked about women 50 years ago. They say, oh, you're too weak to do that. You're too fragile. You should take care. You should be careful. You might have a heart attack. You might fall down. You might hurt yourself. You should take it easy when you retire and sit on the sofa for once. Those are all the worst things people can do. And they, they say that to old people because they, they think that we're like women were 50 years ago, weak and fragile. <laughs> you know, oh, it's so a joke. It really is. But it's, it's our preconceived notions of what aging and decrepitude is. When, in fact, we now have the statistics, uh, the, the, the scientific proof, the uh, longitudinal studies that show that the more you exercise, um, and the, especially running, the more regular you are about it, um, the longer you live, and, then, and the more optimistically you live. So, for instance, a study out of Stanford University says that runners actually live on the average of seven years longer. And they have a mental attitude 14 years younger than their peer group. So what that means is, um, let's say you're 80 years old, okay? Um, Are you going to be in a nursing home? Or are you going to be out still traveling and having fun with your friends and um, living in your own home? Right. See, those are the the things we've got to look at. You don't think about it so much when you're like 50 and you're still pretty spry. But then things start falling off and and you get a little nervous and you say, I don't know if I should take that hike. I don't know if I should do that. You should. Um, and the other thing I say to people is you, the body always improves with work. Training works and it works at any age. So you are never too old to start an exercise program. Um, it's, 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 uh, it, it's always, uh, I wish I had an expression for it, but anyway, basically you're never too old to start an exercise exercise program. Ah, yes, yes. You're never too old to start an exercise program, but you're too young to quit. That's what it is. Oh, very good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, so there are studies on this too. I mean, I could bore you to tears, but basically, um, I think it was Tufts University many years ago, did weight training programs with bedridden patients in a nursing home and found that those, uh, those patients recovered something like uh, as much as 90% of their muscle mass. So it's huge. It's huge. The body, the body is, even, even in decline, is constantly changing and growing. That was Catherine that you heard in the intro to the show today, too. And she will also be at the Senior Games. The Senior Games, which I'm going to participate in in Albuquerque in June. Um, yeah, there, there's something like 12,000 people over, you know, over age 60 or whatever competing in these games. Yes. Um, yeah, but they, they, are the, they are the pioneers. You guys are going to be the precursors. Um, and, and you're going to be creating... Maybe the senior games eventually are going to be as popular as the Olympic games. Who knows? Who knows? You know, we don't know that. We don't know that yet. You know, your generation is going to be making the rules, creating new sports, creating new attitudes. It's all going to be changing. And it's, it's a great time. It's a great time for um, a discussion of aging and physicality. That leads me to a solo episode that I recorded, Mindset Shifts That Help You Rise. You don't have to accept feeling old and achy. It makes me so sad to see people just give up and accept what their doctors or society tells them about their health or fitness. I think we all need to change our mentality on what it means to get older. Aging doesn't mean that we have to slow down and start sitting on the sidelines. 
One of the biggest mistakes I see people make as they start hitting 40 and above is that they just give up too quickly. They wake up one day and they realize that they've gained a little bit of pudge around the middle and maybe their knees and ankles are a little bit more creaky than they once were. And they go to a doctor who kind of shrugs it off and tells them that this is just a normal part of aging and they accept that doctor's word as gospel. So now they have a doctor-approved excuse to be less active that they repeat over and over again. They tell themselves this story enough times that they believe that the doctor said that it's okay not to do X, Y, or Z because their ankles are bad or their knees are bad. And the problem with this is that inactivity breeds inactivity. The more we sit, the harder moving gets. People of course, absolutely need to listen to their doctors, but they also need to know that many conditions can be reversed. With proper nutrition, hydration, sleep, exercise, we can improve our fitness and we can even sometimes move better and perform better than we did in our younger years. And here's where this ties into what Catherine and Bonnie both said. So we need to embrace the concept of active aging, moving every day in some form, whether that's working on strength or mobility or walking or running or doing yoga or the elliptical or rowing, whatever it is, your body doesn't have to fall apart just because your birthday cake has 40 candles on it or more candles on it. You might just need to approach your fitness differently and train smarter. But also, I want you to understand that you should never, ever believe that you must live a sedentary life or live with pain. And if you have a doctor who's just shrugging that off and telling you that that's how life is going to be, you need to look for somebody else who wants to be creative and help you find ways to live your best life. Dr. Heather Denniston first appeared on the podcast in episode four, so again, taking it way back to last summer, and she is a seasoned chiropractor with a certification in wellness chiropractic. She's also an NASM certified personal trainer, an avid athlete, and a health enthusiast, and a writer. She also has a great show that she runs on Facebook called The Junkie Should Know Show, And she has a membership site that people can subscribe to to learn more about wellness. So then what are some practical things that people can do so that they don't find themselves in this type of situation? Yeah, and of course, that's what you and I coach on all the time, right? But Mm -hmm. some takeaways for your group. I kind of thought about three takeaways that maybe weren't super, super obvious. So the first one is, yeah, because <laughs> obviously, like, hydrate. How about that? Sleep, <laughs> you know, things like that. Those are the obvious ones, right? Right. Um, but a, a, a couple unique ones might be have an approach to your wellness like it's a bank and you're making investments like a retirement account. The more you invest now, the better your returns. And wellness is, um, it's, it's not... It's not just reactive to kind of weight gain and stress and being out of shape. It's a daily investment we make for our present and future self. So I like to think about that. So even, you know, we go back to that illness to wellness spectrum. Hey, I'm feeling pretty good. I look pretty good. Maybe I don't need to do my workout right now. 
well, I'm going to do my workout because it's an investment in the bank for my future self. And so kind of using that as a motivator to help make additional wellness choices, even when you're feeling pretty good. So that's number one. Number two, know that every little tiny decision you make from a nutritional fitness and stress standpoint is taking you a step toward, you know, I'm going to just tell a quick story because uh, what I, what I'm looking at in my notes, I'm thinking that this is a strong statement and I want to back it up with just a little tiny story. And that is a, a mentor of mine who taught my wellness chiropractic course stood up on stage one day and he said to us, he said, today, I want you to go home. I want you to take off all your clothes. I want you to stand in the mirror. And I want you to say to yourself, if I do nothing different than I have been, this is the best I'm ever going to look. And I was like, oh, my word. Like, that's a pretty strong statement. But I thought, you know what? That is actually a really great <laughs> visual because people, they don't make that connection that we have this natural degenerative thing that's happening in our bodies unless we make really strong shifts and changes. This is the best it's going to look. Because we're getting older, right? Right. right. So, yeah. So going back to know that every little decision you make from a nutritional fitness and stress standpoint, how uh, my my mentor, James Chestnut, said it is, you are either taking a, a step toward long, slow suicide or a step toward a full, vibrant and full color life. So when you choose to eat sugar over healthy fats and proteins, when you choose to imbibe too much alcohol, when you sacrifice your sleep, he calls it slow suicide. You're just taking tiny steps toward that sepia tone life is what I refer to it, or, you know, eminent disease or whatever it is. And so when you're making these tiny little decisions, just think about the fact, am I pushing toward a full color life or am I pushing myself toward a sepia tone life? And I, I so I kind of like that, that you can make little decisions all day long that push you mm -hmm. one direction or the other, and you can always change them. And number three is find your wellness why. And your wellness why is that question that you ask yourself, what is health and wellness? Why is it important to me? And it's usually not the first answer you get. You have to keep saying to yourself, but why? So for example, well, I want to be healthy because um, I don't, I want, I'm, a, I'm afraid of getting overweight. Why? Uh, because I might not be able to do stuff. Why? Well, because I want to still be able to hike with my wife when, you know, we're in our 70s. Okay, why? And keep digging down deeper and deeper and deeper till you get that kind of heart-clenching, moving reason why you want to be well. And write it down, post it somewhere where you can see it, and use it as a motivator for your own wellness pursuits. Setting a really solid, achievable, measurable, short-term goal is great. So maybe, you know, one of the things that I love about you is that you help people train for a 5K or put something on the calendar that acts as a short-term motivator. Um, and so having a series of those short-term motivators is, is great for those who are like, well, I don't, I don't, the, the idea of my 70 year old self is so esoteric. It's not a motivator, but a 5k, you know, mm -hmm. thing hanging on my fridge is, and so that can act as a series of steps toward um, making these choices. I also talked to Lynn Lindbergh back on episode three about how to make lifestyle changes that you will stick to. Lynn is the founder of Couch to Active, and she is on a mission to bring to light the missing link between wanting to exercise consistently and actually getting it done. She is known to her clients as the Bad Couch Guru. Her program, Couch to Active, made its debut in 2017, and then last summer, 
her new book by the same name came out. And it was a finalist in the 2018 Best Book Awards. One of the first things I teach people, and it's, it's a little silly and it's kind of an eye roll, but I have people memorize this quote. And, it, and it's this, it's my body needs exercise. My body will always need exercise. This is not negotiable. It will never change. It's science. And, and I know that's, that's the basics right there. <laughs> but a lot of times we get into our lives and we get busy and we get through the day and we, you know, we keep reading all these articles about you know, how to hack our bodies and how to hack our diet and hack our exercise and, you know, the magic tips for this and that. And really, we are human beings. We are an animal called a human and it needs to exercise. Mm-hmm. And when people actually realize that and really, I mean, we know this, we already know this, but when people actually soak it in, this light bulb goes off and it says, Oh, you're right. Exercise is not a luxury. It's not selfish. It's not me putting myself above others. It's I'm just a human and I need this. In that interview, we also took a little bit of time to talk about one of our favorite topics. As Lynn loves to say, grit is bogus. Grit is bogus. Bogus, that's the word I was searching for. I know. And and people say, what, what, what about, what about, you know, Angela Duckworth's book on grit? She has a TED talk. And I know, I know right here, I've got the book. It's in my hand. If um, (laughs) Kim and I are on a video chat, I'm showing her the book. Yes. (laughs) That's right. Nobody else can see our video. (laughs) Exactly. We all need grit and self-discipline to survive, thrive, and do almost anything meaningful in our lives. We, we need that. And I mean, we need it to get through high school. So, you know, high school kids, state youths, keep that grit going, get those homework assignments done. Um, we need it to, uh, to do well in our jobs, to be good human beings. But there's only a limited amount of grit that we can use in our lives. And we don't want a life that's just full of grit. Because if you think about it, grit is, if you think about the definition of grit, grit is saying, here's this thing that I want to accomplish in my life. But in order to get to that thing, I have to do other things I don't want to do. So I'm going to use grit to push through and do stuff I hate anyway to get to that end goal. And, and that's great. That's how we make breakthroughs a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But if your day-to-day exercise every day for your whole life, 365 days a year times decades, is an hour of grit that you hate, you're not living a life you love. And you're not every day for your whole life. I think I want to live a life I love. I don't want to go and spend an hour doing something I hate every day. Like, no, I, no, I want to love my life. So saying that grit is bogus is a way of helping folks say, huh, well, if grit's bogus, what else, what else can I do? And, mm-hmm. and how else can I shape this exercise thing in a way that I don't need that grit and self-discipline 
in a way that I become one of those people who just exercise. And finally, we are taking it back to episode 14, where I talked with Dr. Michelle Seeger. She's the author of No Sweat, How the Simple Science of Motivation Can Bring You a Lifetime of Fitness. Dr. Seeger has devoted her 25-year career to creating sustainable behavior change for health and well-being, and she is a recognized pioneer in the field. If you have been struggling to make some behavior changes, I know you are going to find these tips from Dr. Seeger helpful. Most people, when they decide to start a behavior change, to initiate a behavior change, like to become, you know, to become a regular exerciser, they're doing it for a certain reason. And it might be because it's swim, it's swimsuit season, or their doctor's warning them that things are going downhill, or their spouse is badgering them, whatever the reason is, or they just really decide, gosh, I want to take better care of myself. The, that is a moment, I call that a motivation bubble. It's where people initiate the change. The problem is that there is this divide, this edge, a precipice where once the bubble bursts, which usually happens within two to four weeks because your kid gets sick, or you've got an urgent, unexpected deadline at work, or, you know, your roof falls through with extra rain and you have to deal with all these contractors, whatever the reason is, all of a sudden those things become more important than your aspirational or should-based reason for starting, and then life takes over and kicks in, and you stop. So, and, I, and you know, this, what I'm going to explain came out of my own research, and actually research that um, kind of went against what I had hypothesized. I used to think that exercising for health was a really, would be an optimal motivator, and when my research suggested that it wasn't an optimal motivator. I, I needed to understand why my research showed that and what it meant. And so what I'm going to explain to you is really what I was forced to learn from this unexpected and unanticipated finding. And it is that we have two parts of our brains. One is kind of based in logic and it it's our, the part we plan out of. So yes, I'm going to become a regular exerciser. And then there's this part of the brain that's more based on the immediate moment and the experience and urgent and emotions. And so when urgent things happen, that's, and we get stressed out about them, you know, there's this difference between aspirational ideal and reality and what's real. And so what we need to do, and this is really what took me to one of my biggest findings is we need to understand how people make their daily decisions. Let's forget about sustainable behavior change. That's the outcome we want. What, de what delivers the outcome is, is when people make consistent decisions to move or to get enough sleep day in and day out. So what's the lever of decision-making? And guess what? It's how we feel. It's how... Okay. The emotional part of our brain. So what we want to do when it comes to exercise is we want to make sure that physical movement plays a role in our daily lives, not aspirationally, but how does it help us feel better every day? Mm -hmm. And you, again, it ties back to what you said earlier. And, it's, and I want to also, the caveat to what I'm going to say is you know, Baskin and Robbins has 31 ice cream flavors or used to anyway, for a reason, because we're all different and we all want different things on different days. 
So what I'm suggesting isn't necessarily going to be true for everyone. It won't be true for everyone, but I believe it's going to be true for most people because of the way it's based on the way the human brain works. One of the reasons that I love for my clients to journal and I recommend journaling is because it helps us see the connections that Dr. Seeger talks about in this next segment. And there is an experiential process that I, you know, that I talk about in No Sweat that takes someone from the, okay, in theory, Michelle, I get this, but how do I actually convert exercise from a chore into a gift that fuels me every day? You actually have to experience it and start to notice, hmm, on the days I exercise, I feel better. And that makes me, that enables me to be a better parent, a better mom, a better dad. It enables me to be more creative at work. I actually enjoy work more versus on the days that I don't, I just don't have the verve that I have. So it's helping people really understand that. And it has to come, they have to do it for themselves. We can't tell someone this is true. They actually have to experience it themselves. Mm -hmm. So then what do you do to get that person who is not a regular exerciser to agree to even make that first step and experience it so they can discover all of these things? Well, we have to find out what people what people really want in their life that they don't have. So, you know, in today's world where everyone's crazy busy and very tired, I mean, fatigue and low energy is kind of, they're kind of chronic conditions for people, you know, people daily feel exhausted. And, you know, so the way that you get people interested is you start to ask them, you know, would you like to have more energy? And did you know that it's actually easier than you think? It gets, this ties back to the idea that if people think they have to kill themselves at the gym for 60 minutes for it to be worth doing, like many believe, then eventually they go, oh, I just don't have the energy for that. But what if instead we taught people of the continuum and everything counts from this very teeny little piece of literally walking one way one minute and then turning around from that little bit to a marathon, if everything in between counts, and on some days, it's you might not have the energy for a 15-minute walk, but you might have the energy for a three-minute walk. If we can start to teach ourselves the value of consistency over quantity, yes. then we'll help people be able you know, to do it. Consistency. It is one of the most important things you can do if you want to improve your swimming, if you want to improve your running, your endurance, your overall nutrition, or your health. Small steps repeated consistently. Those tiny habits are what we're talking about. Guys, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I tried to pull together some of the experts that have talked about active aging or have talked about the senior games or have just talked about how to develop an exercise habit. I know that this is a common topic that people want answers to. Everybody's always asking me, how do I become a regular exerciser or how do I find the time or how do I learn to enjoy it? So I hope that these gave you at least a few clues, few things to try that you might be able to try in your own life to see where you go with that. And if you ever need any help, you know where to find me. You can also look on my website. I have lots of free resources at crushingmygoals.com. Have a fabulous weekend, and we will talk again on Tuesday.
Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.